So now like my kind of internal gauge for how much structure I need is that enough that I can automate the mundane stuff so that my best energy is given to the things that are my priorities. So my connection and then also creativity. Ready to embark on a journey of boundless creativity, purpose, and adventure as an artistic soul? Hey, I'm Lara Bianca Pilcher. I'm passionate about empowering artists like you to live out your creative dreams and nurture yourself at the core of your artistic journey. Let's explore the art of vibrant living and creative expression. As an artist, actor, writer, and showbiz educator with over 20 years of experience in the arts and entertainment industry across the globe, London, Australia, and now Atlanta, USA, I'm here to guide you through the mess and magic of this ever-evolving creative life. From performing on TV, film and stage to roles both on and off stage, my journey in the arts has woven a diverse tapestry of experiences. This positions me to help you navigate the path to unlocking the full potential of your artistic soul. Alongside my auditions, submissions and industry hustles, I've had the privilege of educating artists and living a joyful marriage with two wonderful kids. Expect genuine conversations from real-life lessons, struggles, and triumphs that have shaped my journey. It's a journey I'm excited to share with you. This is your masterclass in how to craft a fulfilling, vibrant, and art-filled life. Get ready for the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Artist podcast, your key to unlocking the full potential of your artistic soul. Stay tuned for enlightening conversations, practical tips, and inspiring stories that will elevate your purpose, adventure, and creativity. Let's go. Well, hey there. Welcome back to another awesome episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Artist Podcast. We've got something very special lined up for you today. We are with the incredible Jana Zint, a personal coach and the mastermind behind the life-changing 10-week course called the Habit Lab. It's a mastery course, really, and... I just want to welcome you, Jenna. Thanks for chatting with me. Um, before we dive into the fascinating world of habits and the Habit Lab, I want to know a little bit more about your personal journey. So share with us how you stumbled upon the power of habits and why they became such a game changer for you personally. Oh, well, thank you first off for having me. I was like, I'll wait till she's ready for me. But I just wanted to say thank you. My yeah. Southern self could not say, not say Oh, you're you, Southern. Mom. I live in the South and I'm not Southern. You don't live in the South <laughs> yes. and you are Southern. This is great. <laughs> Manners was like the number one thing we learned growing up. Like, oh, that's so true. Yes, yeah, all the things. Okay, so how did I get into habits? That was a great question. Well, I um, started, I'm a mom of three and I started a business. Um, it's an Etsy shop that really took off. And it is called Turbans for Tots. Um, and I started it when my young, no, my oldest was first born. So I had it for eight years. Um, everything was made local. I had uh, an office here in Redding, California. That's where I live. And um, at the height, we had, I think, like 18 people working for us. And then um, fast forward two years ago. So, like things started shifting and even honestly, like, oh gosh, social media marketing, it mm -hmm. changes every three months. And I just got to a point where I was like, I'm done figuring this out. I don't want to crack the code again to figure out how to get our ads <laughs> tell, performing tell better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I was done having kids too. My youngest is now four and he was a boy anyways. And most of it's like bows and matching mommy and me headband sets. So I decided that I was going to shift. And, but in that we did have a decline with sales. So we let people go. So let's actually just, you know, make the bare bones, 
let everything like close everything to our overhead and then try to sell it for a few months until you know before I move on. So as um, we made that decision quickly and then had to give that news to our staff. And a lot of the women had been working with me for um, actually there was a husband, a wife, her daughter, all three of her other daughters had, or three of her daughters had worked for me, and then a few other people who had been there five, three years, you know, substantial chunks of their time. I just felt um, so much awareness that shame that we got to this spot without me knowing like, oh, I, I should have been more in the loop and had a better pulse on where our, like the month, the numbers were running, the trends so that there wasn't this quick, like lack of notice to give them the info. And then two, this awareness as we're moving out of the 1200 square foot office that we had to a spare bedroom in my house. Like that feels like a ego hit because it's going back to like the original days when it had gotten so big. Um, it's such a shift, this awareness of like, do I actually have the habits and skills, time management, ability to prioritize the necessary things to make this successful in the three, four month interlude until we sell it. And as we were like unpacking my, some of my staff like helped me move. I had this awareness. They're like, I was expressing some of those concerns and my manager, who's just the best, she's amazing. She was like, yeah, you're probably going to have to um, grow in some of those areas. <laughs> and it was so kind and true, but it was just this wake up call of like, oh, like I think it was such a plain, like my shortcomings and lack of structure, internal structure, time management, habits of like meticulously keeping our books the consequences of not having those areas dialed in was like looking at me in the face, like in these people in this major quick shift. And I just was like, Oh, I felt this invite of like, do I want to continue? Like if I, I could, I can do something about where I'm at currently, but if I don't actually go after these lids, these are going to follow me into whatever my next chapter is. Like, do I want to take this opportunity for feedback to grow and to um, go after these weaknesses and grow them into strengths, like actually cultivate something different rather than just passively going with what I have working, what tools I have. So that just set me off on the course of, especially that uh, I ended up um, having it for, I think four or five months before we ended up selling it to one of my employees in town, which is awesome. So that's why I was like, look it up, go look it up. It's awesome. Still it's up and running. And, um, but in the meantime, I just listened to the first book I listened to on tape was uh, Atomic Habits. And it was so inspiring because, well, he's a phenomenal writer. But the idea, there's two major takeaways that I hadn't heard before. One was that um, in order to experience longevity in your habits, they needed to be tied to your identity. And then the other one was that you should start offensively small because our culture has this all or nothing mentality on like everything, like go big or go home. Like I think yeah. of all the makeover, extreme home makeover shows where it's like they flip a whole house. You're like, that's what I mean. In say, 24 house. hours now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Move that bus and yeah. you're like, wait, is this a new location? That's not the same house. Yeah. yeah. So you just get this shift, I think, of like it's all or nothing. So the almost permission to start offensively small and it wasn't lazy that actually there's all this behavior science and research backed up that like you could um, starting small carves new pathways in your brain and then let's momentum gain as you become proud of yourself seeing the small wins you'll look for more and bigger like it could actually build upon itself you're not letting yourself off the hook saying you'll never go like increase or upgrade it's just this is where we're starting because I'm actually just rebuilding trust with myself so that was my actually that rebuilding trust with myself was just my small, um, what I tied all my habits to my identity. The first 
like couple months that I was just building them. So like my first habit was making my bed every day and then running my dishwasher every night. And every time I did like nights that I wouldn't remember and I would be in bed and be like, oh, my dishwasher, I'm gonna have to get out of bed, walk all the way downstairs. Like, do I want to do it? And is it worth it? And I would remind myself, it's actually not about the action. The action in itself of just running my dishwasher would not get me, pull myself out of bed. But remembering that I'm casting a vote for the person I want to be. And that's the kind of person that can tell mm. myself what to do and do it. And this is more important than the action because it's a like showing I can trust myself. Um, that's what got me out of bed. So I'm like, oh, this works when you tie it to a bigger why, not just a clean dishwasher. It's what is where you find longevity for sure. And then you obviously wrote the course, right? And yes, wrote the, the course. Headline. I actually started yeah. with the free book club because my life was getting, I was just seeing such dramatic shifts that I was like, I need to get, I just naturally share. I'm like, we need, I need to do this with my friends. So I gathered like 10 friends <laughs> who are all moms with young kids initially this round because it was just a book club. And we met at 6 a.m. on a Sunday and they all, every week they showed wow. up, they're like, you know, we love you and have seen a change in your life if we're here at 6 a.m. <laughs> so we did that. And then I wrote the course and started walking people through it. And yeah, we're about a year and a half into walk like being a habit coach for people and it's it's my favorite thing it feels like oh I feel like this is what I was meant to do I enjoyed habits for tots and I like learned so much but I feel like this is like so many more um parts of me converging if that makes sense yeah and you said the coolest thing um that habits need to be tied into your identity can you just tell me what does that mean exactly To me, it gives a lot of times our habits are tied into goals, which like, for instance, losing, like I'm eating this way to lose 10 pounds. Or actually, I'll give you an example of mine. Um, I have been working out for 30 minutes a day for the last year and a half. Like I haven't missed a day. And if it had been tied to me losing weight, when I lost the weight, my motivation would have leaned substantially because I'm like, why am I doing this anymore? But my, the reason, like my why of my, why I execute my habit or why it's important to me, I actually just dug deeper of like, how do I tie this to my identity? And for me, my little identity statement with my habit is because I'm the kind of person that invests in my health because I want to take an active role in how I age. So for me, there's no expiration date. There's no arrival point. This is the kind of person I'm becoming. So that's what motivates me to keep going and not because it's not something I'm hitting or I'm not just running this half marathon. This is who I am. So there's like, it's a forever process versus a flash in the pan, you know, success. That is a really great answer because I think we so often are goal orientated and, you know, it sounds very much, um, and you, you and your nature, like are entrepreneurial and, 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 and working, I guess, from an office, but also home and you're a mom. So there's a lot of hats that you're wearing, but freelance artists and performers, you know, we tend to by nature, not always, but kind of thrive on chaos and unpredictability. (laughs) And, you know, your course really, how does it cater to the free-spirited individuals (laughs) that most of the listeners really are? How how does habits really help those of us who are not really habit-driven people by nature? (laughs) Which is so me. I actually thought, I realized like as I dug into my perception of structure and disciplined, I thought they were at odds with spontaneity. I thought they were, you had to either choose structure or fun or connection. Honestly, like doing some deeper diving, like I saw modeled growing up that like a lot of people who were really structured would choose their structure over connection and break connection. So I had some beliefs that I've 
kind of slowly been dismantling like, oh, the right amount of structure facilitates and helps support my connection and then also helps and supports my creativity and my spontaneity. So I think about that what I'm looking for structure. And I think it's like every person, personality, season, what the right amount of structure is, is going to change. Like there's just not this number, but like I'm not, I'm free spirited, love spontaneity and adventure. So I need less than a friend who's maybe more like pretty type A personality, but realizing it doesn't mean I don't need any. Like the chaos that I lived in before I had any, where I thought was helping me because it wasn't, it never made me say no to myself or people or fun ideas or creative impulse. I realized that I was minimizing the cost, like the cost of living that chaotic actually affected my yeses more than I thought. Like I thought my nose were the only thing that affected me if I had structure, but realizing like, oh, I, so now like my kind of internal, like a gauge for how much structure I need is that um, enough that I can automate the mundane stuff so that my best energy is given to the things that are my priorities. So my connection and then also creativity for me. I would say like, so I actually, so I think everyone's is different, but it's like you automate the mundane things. That's where you want to like focus in on habits so that you can give your best energy to whatever your core values are. So whatever your personal nature of what you value, you get to not just be, I think of it like fighting fires. Like I was just like, if I'd um, go on these adventures or, you know, spend hours creating late, uh, late all throughout the night, then the next day I wake up exhausted. I couldn't then execute it because I'd have three weeks of dishes, <laughs> not three weeks, but three weeks of laundry. Yeah. But I was like, I can't actually use my living room furniture because mm. I've been avoiding this. So then my best energy wasn't given to what I wanted to. It was whatever the biggest fire was. So I think that's the price of chaos is oftentimes we have to give our energy. We're not as um, free as we think. We have to give ourselves to the most urgent thing, which if you neglect the more mundane things, they sometimes have to be what you give your energy to. So just automating the mundane. You don't have to automate creativity. It's not limiting. Find what works for you, what supports what you care about. And that's that's the balance for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, you've unpacked actually, I think a lie that a lot of creative, you know, that side of the brain type people believe that that's my artistic nature. And if I try and rein that in too much, then I'm going to lose my ability to access my emotions and my creativity and all of that but you've actually said no it's actually probably working against you a little bit in terms of um your energy and where you can be the most productive I love I love that you said that it's it's there's so much truth in it. it's like a secret weapon for the artistic souls <laughs> so true. So like even just practically speaking like my husband's an accountant so he's likes more structure he's so good at I tease I'm the builder and creator and he's the maintainer in the family <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I, I get you <laughs> so much gratitude for that strength of his which wasn't always the case sometimes I felt like it hindered or restrained me but then realizing like no it actually complements me so well mm, totally um, but in that um so yeah. for me in that like when he does time management because I realized that like I actually need to like increase my ability with time management he blocks every like minute 15 minutes at a time like his whole day is planned and then wow. when I tried to do that I was like this is terrible this, this is like is a like, prison for a creative person exactly. <laughs> this is the antithesis of creativity so yeah. I think that's the idea I think with habits it's probably the biggest one of the biggest perspective shifts for me is it's not one size fits all. Like it's the idea of buying, you know, most brides when they buy their wedding dress, they know they're going to get it altered or tailored to them. So they're going to buy something off the rack with the expectation to edit and revise. And that's what's going to look great on someone else is not their 
ideal dress. That's what I think with habits too. So that worked for my husband. So I'm like, oh, there are more, but I would have quit like past me would have been like, it didn't work for me. So it's not possible for me to find time management. Like it's only going to kind of like, oh, my husband's version of time management didn't work for me, but what does work for me? So even for me, I Mm -hmm. just do bigger chunks and I get to decide what I want to do in them. And a lot of times this sounds so silly, but when I do the harder things, I do them in more pretty environments. So we have a really epic back porch and I will do it outside with music with a diffuser, whatever, as soft, as comfortable as I can make it to kind of reward myself and then know like, okay, after you do this hard thing, that's not the most fun. You're going to go do like a 15 minute, like walk or swim in the pool. And then you get to do the fun thing, but I kind of almost use it as momentum. So my point is that I do way less structured, but I do do a flow of my day. And I already follow kind of my natural energy of like, after lunch is when I want to be creative and it's not a smart idea for me to stack a bunch of admin heavy stuff. So I should do that like because me personally has my best energy and internal self-discipline in the morning to do those harder things and then let myself do the fun creative things in the afternoon because I'm it's like following what I'm already Mm. finding myself wanting to do and build structure around that rather than trying to tame myself into a box. Yeah, so, so good. And can you define quickly too, like how do we get in this hot mess of habits taking such a hold of us? And, you know, I know it's neurological as well, but like I've had weird habits over, like I used to get just, I would eat healthy all day, no problems at all. And then at night, every night, same signal, I need to eat sugar right now. And the rest of the day, I didn't have that. So I'm like, I know this is a habit that my brain is sending right now. So tell me, like, how does it get to the point where it's like your brain just does it and it's working against what you want for your your values and your goals, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because like with those, one of the things we talk about the most is how we kick out shame for the habit journey because so often we try to use subconsciously, like I think everyone's awareness of shame as an inner voice is different. So maybe some people have really loud voices of shame. I would have told you before doing this work, Um, to see how much of a role shame played in my motivation. I would have thought I didn't have a very loud shame voice because I was pretty happy and liked myself, therefore didn't think. But then when I peeled back the layer of realizing how often I I would use should have, or if you were more of an adult, you wouldn't reach for your kid's cereal at 8 p.m. Like all these layers of like subtle, almost passive aggressive shames Mm -hmm. to try. But I realized like, oh, I'm actually just trying to use them for motivation. But really, um, interestingly, this is really cool. In your brain where contempt happens, which I think of contempt contempt as kind of like shame or Mm, or contempt mm. pointed at yourself as shame and where curiosity happened, they literally can't fire at the same time. So it's like you're going down two different paths. You can either choose when you're approaching, like you find yourself doing a habit you don't want to do. So I call them like an unhelpful habit. You can either engage with contempt And that shuts down creativity or you can go back and choose curiosity and that's where solutions lies. So for me, I'm like, okay, instead of when I catch myself doing something incongruent with what I want to do, like a bad habit, I think interesting. I actually use this little code word. Um, I say it with a voice, a terrible accent most of the time because it reminds me to not do shame. So it's a little bit of a cue, like interesting. (laughs) I'm noticing something. Interesting. I want shame. Shame wants to come in and tell me, but actually if I want to get curious to figure out how I got here, uh, I have to not let shame have a voice or I won't discover any answer. So in that, I just pause and actually um, in real time check, like, why am I doing this? 
Like what is motivating me? And a lot of times for me, what I found, especially at nighttime, a lot of, a lot of unhelpful habits live there for people. And it's usually yes. either like over exhaustion, looking for a reward. Like it's like you made it to the finish line of your day. I deserve all these things of thinking of how much hard stuff I did. So instead of like simply giving some of myself, some of the old habits like Netflix binging or a ton of sugar, I think like how else, could, what are alternatives that I could do to give myself refresh or reward that would be more congruent with some of my goals? Like you said, health goals. So I don't know, yeah. like sitting on the back porch chatting with my husband, like how can I get myself like thinking practically, being in the kitchen's hard. How can I remove myself from the kitchen? Or even when I'm watching Netflix, that's usually one of my cues to want sugar. So maybe if I take that out and we replace it. So the interesting part is like they say that um, a lot of us just want to abstain, like just to white knuckle stopping bad habits. Yeah. But most of what they've found research-wise from like recovering alcoholics is the ones that had successful recoveries, they didn't simply abstain from drinking. They found a stronger habit to replace it. So wow. they actually, in the brain, they can see stronger pathways on the ones that have recovered who it's still there. It's like the memory is there, but they've chosen an alternative and they've picked it up enough that that is their more instinctual way. So in the process of like ditching some unhelpful habits, staying engaged with curiosity because that's where answers are, and then actually choosing some alternatives. What if I'm look, like, why in the curiosity, like, why am I reaching for this? Being compassionate of like, oh, you had a really hard day and you did a lot of things. That's true. I'm not going to shame yourself for wanting some acknowledgement, but what are other ways that I could give you what you're looking for? Because I always tease, I'm like, throwing a cookie at it isn't going to give me the com like actual comfort. <laughs> That'll give me a dopamine hit for the 30 seconds I'm chewing the cookie. But if I actually need to process some of my overwhelm, the cookie is not going to do that. <laughs> it's it's so like, why is it there is my question that I usually ask myself. And then what else could I do in instead of that one? Really, really good. I want to sprinkle some of your habit magic onto the listeners. Can you share some of the tantalizing tips and insights um, that you actually, without giving away all your secrets in the course, but <laughs> some of the, you know, top sort of tips that you might uh, say, start with these. Yeah, I would say um, most of the time people find like I think of a habit like a seed, <laughs> like, you know, it has to grow over time, take roots, and then it'll get bigger because that's why a lot of people will, number one, start offensively small. So a lot of people get afraid almost that if they start so small, it'll never get bigger or it'll never, they notice the lack of what their action is versus the results they're wanting. And they're like, I'll never get there if I start this small. So that like kicks them into all or nothing gear. And they're like, okay, pedal to the metal. And it's such an incongruent jump and such a 180 that you can have flash in the pan success, but you usually don't find longevity because you can't sustain when you make such a dramatic change where the opposite is like when you start offensively small, it's like planting a seed and letting it take roots over time and being okay like hey I know the natural order this will grow and as I start seeing momentum from this it'll get bigger and stronger and produce more seeds that I can then plant like it won't stay here kind of self-talk but it is important mm. to start here so starting yeah. offensively small is the first one um, tying it to our identity as often as I can especially if I the more resistance I'm feeling to a habit I actually intentionally kind of I write out an identity statement so when the sneaky question of what's the point or I don't want to do this like kind of try to come in I have a pre-written answer for what's the point like well I'm so glad you you asked uh, <laughs> lagging self-control <laughs> the point of this <laughs> me not wanting to go on this walk is that I'm investing in my health and I actually want to be the kind of grandma that can play with their kids that's not limited to 
on the couch watching TV or mm-hmm. um, with the identity statement, one of mine with my environment is I'm the kind of person that creates and maintains peaceful environments because it um, helps my connection or supports my connection. So when I'm like, mm. oh, why am I cleaning up the kitchen? I'm like, oh, because I know what it feels like when my kids come down in the morning to a clean breakfast area and they feel like I'm expecting them. I'm excited to see them and I'm not anxious I have like a clean slate emotionally to interact with them because I'm not trying to catch up from yesterday. Like that's fair. So mm-hmm. it just reminding me the bigger picture and, and anybody like, so one of those main things that tying into your identity is huge for your habits. No shame's really big because it actually, um, it feels like it's going to motivate you, but really it deflates in the long run. It just pokes holes like, because shame's not, it doesn't stay to do something different, do better. Okay, you're right. I'm going to do this huge thing. Then when you're not seeing the results or you miss a day, like shame's like, see, I knew you'd miss something. You can't trust yourself. So it's like this double-edged sword. Like maybe yeah. it like gives you a big start, but it's almost like corrupt fuel. It blows up in your face inevitably. inevitably. Um, yeah. So the remembering like shame's not helpful. Curiosity is more helpful. And kind of the internal picture I get when I remind myself, like, what am I picking? Am I picking shame right now to, like, analyze my behavior or am I picking curiosity? I think of a scientist versus a judge where the scientist would represent curiosity with the expectation that, like, you do experiments and it's not like you're going to get it right the first time, but it doesn't mean he's a terrible scientist because he, like, one of the variables didn't work. Like, there's other variables at play than simply my self-control. So maybe this habit wasn't my ideal fit, but what part of it could I like works, what part doesn't, and how can I change it for another variation of it? I think of like, you know how 409, the cooking spray is called that because I think, well, it's an urban legend, whether or not it's true, but on their 409th attempt at the formula is when they found breakthrough. That's what I think about. Yeah, Yeah. right? That's what I think about with habits is like, okay, just because number one or two didn't work, it doesn't mean this is not conclusive proof that this area is hopeless or that I can't change here. Like so good for our creative. Right? Yeah, oh creative oh. endeavors. It's just so good, like what you're saying, because there's just so many more sorts of wisdom within that, you know, and you, you do have a somewhat superpower <laughs> because you're juggling being, you know, you've got a business and you're a mom and you just mentioned to me, you know, things about your kids coming down in the morning. So what are some of your habits in your life that you've put in that help you juggle and keep your sanity just in general <laughs> that yeah. we might be able to steal from you? <laughs> I was going to say one of my things that I learned from turbans and then just prioritized it is that get childcare, either whether you can't afford to pay it. And I don't mean for free. I think people, again, the all or nothing, like it doesn't mean that your kid has to go 30 hours a week. Like there would be a few when we couldn't afford it at the very beginning. And then more recently when we had some financial setbacks, I found another working mom and I swapped with her so that we both got one four hour session a week where we were able to like have kidless focus. And the cool part, it was such a win because the kids loved it. It was like this giant play date that they thought it was amazing. And it obviously worked with my budget. But why I think that's so important is because when I try to do both, I do both poorly. And then the message I feel and hear is that I'm failing. Like I didn't get all the things I needed to get done because I was multitasking and making snacks in the meantime, or I'm neglecting my kids. So if I actually just do a concentrated time where I, they're not with me, even if it's smaller and shorter, I know I'll be like triple as effective. And that narrative of I'm failing isn't there because I'm like, I did a great job. And now I get to go home and be where my mom hat, but I'm not trying to every five minutes juggle between the two, you know? Yeah. 
And then really the other, good. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is I um, work on my schedule. That was one of my time management habits. Every Sunday, I found this like um, notepad on Amazon, which sounds funny, but it's not a calendar. It literally is like one of those notepads you tear off and it has magnets on the back and it has Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I simply on Sunday afternoon at some point every week, I sit down with my calendar on my phone and write them out. And I kind of like time block them, if you will, like literally physically draw squares around them so I can see because me being so visual, which I think probably other artists are, I need to see it. It being on my phone feels so different. And even like, um, it's funny because some people are like, why do you need to write it if it's in your phone? I felt that like, I don't know about you guys, but when we would do study for test in school, the teachers that made me rewrite the study guide or write my own answers versus just reading them, my level of comprehension and almost like grasp of the subject was like so much deeper because I was engaging more aspects of my brain as I was like transferring the information. And that's what happens to me when I write it down. I actually feel like I have a better grasp on my schedule. And then the other thing that happens, which is so funny, even if I'm not adding more things, I have a couple weekly habits that I add and my commitment to myself is like, so arbitrarily my, I have a weekly car cleaning habit where I I have a little vacuum place across the school from, or the road from my son's school. And after I pick the kids up on Thursday, we go over there for about 15 minutes and vacuum the car. And the kids, they all have one job. And it just restores the standard for my minivan because it can get dark in there. <laughs> oh, I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I know, know about restored, that. <laughs> right? So, yeah. um, but my point is that like on Sunday when I look, if it doesn't make sense, if I have meetings through on Thursday afternoon, my commitment to myself for my a few weekly habits I have, I only have like two or three that I protect this harshly, I will move it to another time that it makes sense. So I'm not going to die on the cross because it doesn't make sense to have it on Thursday afternoon. I have to jump through a lot of hoops. But my commitment is where can I move it to find another point in my week? So that's super helpful. And then it just gives me grace for myself because I don't know, I find that I'm not usually alone in this, but what I thought I should be able to do versus how many hours and how long tasks take I could be completely accountable for how I spent my eight hours and still feel shame that I didn't get my unrealistic time. Like, oh, totally. Right? Your list done. I'm like, but then when I write it out, I'm like, yeah. I expected myself to get 14 hours worth of tasks done in eight hours. Like, that's unrealistic. <laughs> so in the me writing out my schedule, I have more grace to what I can and don't have the capacity. And I already feel proud of like, I know what I'm doing on Thursday and that's going to be enough. And I'll probably plan a pretty chill Friday morning to compensate because my Thursday is insane. So it just made me weekly picture versus monthly or daily. I was able to get more balance than I can in a day, if that makes sense. That's a such a great tip for all of us because I'm the same. Like I've, my notes are now a hot mess. I write things in there, but it's a hot mess. I can't find things in there. <laughs> it's so better for me as well. It's like tear it off, stick it where I can see it, and I might might actually remember to do it. So that's really really great. You're just dropping so many great wisdom bombs left and right here. So oh, let's get back to your your habit lab work. And can you just take me on a whirlwind tour of like kind of core topics that and you know what kind of transformation that creates in people. It's so interesting because like we tease that people come for habits, but they leave with a lot of emotional habits too. Because I think of like, there's two categories of habits. There are thought habits and behavior habits and they're a feedback loop. So what you believe to be true manifests by what you do. What you do um, shapes what you believe to be true. So mm-hmm. partly in the course, when we, we are for sure make behavior habits, we look um, for in your environment, in your morning routine, in your wellness, in your, we have like actually an emotional habit. This week we made relationship habits. 
next week's nutrition. So there's actual habits that are behavior habits, but simultaneously we do the work on thought habits because Mm. it feels like if you don't look at them at the same time, it's like you're putting an expiration date on your behavior habits. So doing both is I think, um, and people here going into the class, they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to look at some thought habits and emotions because they affect, they're often the cues for our behaviors, like how we act. But then they're shocked to be like, oh my gosh, everything I do is cued by an emotion. I did not realize that. So we do a lot of work too on like recognizing them. I almost feel like it's like fluency. Like it's like learning a different language. Fluency, where most of us are aware when we feel an emotion, I would say like at a seven, you know, a scale of one to 10, seven or more. But the subtle, when you feel the emotions on level three is like just a smidge of shame. When my dentist told me my daughter has cavities the last time we went and <laughs> how I was a little coarser and like a little more strict the rest of the day and realizing like, oh, I'm so, like I felt shame. I, like, where is this coming from? Why am I acting so differently? So um, recognizing how often our emotions cue our behaviors, you have to actually get more fluent with acknowledging your emotions. And like the idea of like, you have to be self-aware to have self-control and that's most of where habits lie anyways. So that's a big part of the course as well. And most people are like, I had that expectation, but it's so much deeper. Like why I'm doing what I'm doing is so much deeper. It has so many more layers. It roots back to like what I saw my parents do. And I didn't even realize that. Like I would have told you, no, it's just because, you know, X, Y, Z. But when I actually sit with and take, I think the intentionality of the class time. So most classes have guided exercises where you answer questions. And it's funny because you're like, yeah, that that seems like a straightforward question. But when you're given time and this is the point and you're not just telling yourself, I'll go back and do it later. You're like, holy crap, I didn't realize that I believe that structure and relationship were at odds with each other. Of course, I've been avoiding it. Like I have so much more empathy. Mm -hmm. Like I have to go after reworking that narrative and collecting evidence that that's not true. Like how has structure supported relationship or I'm never going to have success at building habits or never have success at building structure. So I think the idea of the guided time to have a deeper look and ask your questions to yourself or um, examine why you're doing what you do or mindsets and beliefs like limiting beliefs is what people don't expect. But I would say it's like the magic dust to the habit, Mm. the habit course, if you will. So, so good. It's like mind blowing really when you put it in like the link between the emotion and the actual actions that we're doing and to really think about that. So if you could hop in a time machine (laughs) and give your younger self or even like the two years ago (laughs) before the habit reading book and things, whenever that was, if you could give yourself some advice, Mm. what would it be now? Hmm. I would say just because something kind of like is uncomfortable doesn't mean it won't be helpful and fruitful and serve you. I think I was one of the little identity statements that I've made on this journey for me is that I'm purpose driven, not simply pleasure seeking. And I realized how so much of my life two years ago was pleasure seeking. And that actually like it cost me a lot more. I was aware of all the benefits, but I would minimize the side effects of neglecting XYZ or not pushing through the I don't want to. <laughs> Sometimes I call, you know, we all get there. We're like, I just don't want to do that. I don't feel like it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So kind of like actually engaging with self-leadership that it will benefit me and it will produce better fruit. I kind of just thought it was like giving away all the things I love, but it would actually make me come alive in a way that just being pleasure seeking Pro- feels like it promises, but it never delivers. It actually doesn't. So mm, there's more that, fullness oh. and fruit and kind of a mix between the two. Yes. You know? 
wow, that it, it feels like it's going to be something and you said, but it doesn't deliver. I mean, wow, that's just like a huge statement right there and so so true for the things we do that are actually destructive and where we give ourselves our bodies like actually taking over uh it almost feels like it's it's controlling us rather than us controlling it when you know we're the boss we're the boss of us so we're the only ones that can control it so I really love that it's so true oh also too maybe the idea that like structure and habits are meant to be seasonal. I think I avoided a lot of them because I thought if I made something a habit, I was committing to forever. But like, just kind of like plants, you know, have life cycles and bear fruit in different seasons, like habits can be seasonal and that's not failing. So like what helps me, like I have a whole slew of summer habits that are so helpful. Like I found and established last year and I'm re-engaged with this summer that I tried to keep going through the fall and they were not helpful. <laughs> they were actually breaking connections. So this idea that it doesn't have to be forever to have value, like that you can change. I think that's why I avoided it. As I think I was like, felt like I was signing my life away in blood. If I committed to something I'm like, Hey, there could be a seasonality, you know, like see it. And then if it stops helping you and serving you, you can alter and pivot. You don't have to commit to doing something that doesn't work for forever. <laughs> work, that's you know, good. do it until it, it doesn't work anymore and then change. Yeah. That's actually really, really good advice because obviously like if you're like, I am going to go for a walk every morning and get some sunlight and it's like the middle of winter and it's dark, then that habit's not probably serving you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The most basic version. Yeah, yeah. It's not your self-discipline or lack of structure. You're like, this doesn't make sense to do this. Find another option for investing in your physical body, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And, you know, I, I mean, not everybody's like this, but I personally really love change. Um, yes. So for me, you know, it's good to think, well, you know, three months, maybe I'll try some, something different that still gets me where I want to go or is still coming out of the value that I have for myself. Yes. That's yeah, really, actually, really even good. Even just speaking mm. to that, like my, uh, you know, like I said, a year and a half of working out 30 minutes plus a day, I pretty much what I, because I love change as well, I almost regularly every two to three months, I change what I'm doing. So like, I ran a half marathon, so I trained for that this fall. Then I did a workout program with a girlfriend in her garage for two months during the winter because I needed a connection to get me out of bed. Oh, yeah. And then for three months, I did a virtual thing at my house. And now the last two months, I've been working out with my husband because he asked me to for the first time. And I was like, yes. Um, So the idea that it's not failing because I'm still just investing, like I made it broader. So there's a statement Mm -hmm. that we say sometimes is be stubborn about your goals, but flexible about how you get there. So I that's remind really myself, good, right? Because yeah. you think it has to look a certain way, but you're like I'm still investing. That counts. Like, good job, me. <laughs> yeah, and I think we often think of a habit as I've got to be rigid. But you're saying yeah. be stubborn about the goal, but flexible about how you get there. Is that the, is that what you said? Yep. Mm-hmm. Really, that's really good. You feel like you won't. If there's flexibility, then you don't avoid it. If you're committing to forever. You know, mm-hmm. something that is inflexible and rigid. You're like, oh, I don't think I want to. That's that's a really good key. So for the listeners who are hungry for more habit goodness, um, <laughs> how can they find you online? Where are you? <laughs> I'd say right now the best way would be my Instagram, which is Jenna Zint, J-E-N-N-A-Z-I-N-T. Uh, just most of my posts are about my own personal habits in my life or when we open up, we're currently finishing a semester of habit and then we're going to take off for the summer. But uh, if you follow me on Instagram, all the information there, um, even about personal one-on-one coaching is available. So 
probably the best. That's really, really helpful. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and your insights are just, and your infectious enthusiasm make me go, yes, like I need to put some more habits in place because they're not rigid. They're actually going to give me freedom and that's what I want in my life. So it's it's just, you know, it's really lighting up um, artists and creatives' lives because the more we layer in these things, it's such a positive um, you're going to get such a positive outcome, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you get to, you know, automating the mundane. So you get to give your best energy to the things you really want to. That's really good. Oh, that's kind of a left field tip, but that's been a game changer for me is um, tasks or household chores or administrative things that I really just dread. I have started timing because I realized how much I emotionally felt like those tasks would take versus how long they took was just like way off. And this came from when I started offensively small, one of my habits was picking up my living room in five minutes. And I was shocked. I was like, well, I'll be able to get the couch clean or something. And how I usually finished it all and moved on to like another task before my timer was up. And I was like, whoa, I think my internal world of time based on task is actually really emotionally, you know, like has blown it out of proportion. So I started timing myself and now realizing like when my kitchen, like I have all these actual data points of when my kitchen's destroyed, I used to, I would have told you it would have taken 45 minutes to an hour to clean it up because I meal prep once a week. So it gets like herbs are everywhere. You're like, oh my (laughs) gosh, this is a disaster. My husband cringes when he walks in. And I used to, I started avoiding, I started missing some of my habits of meal prepping because of how long I thought the cleanup would take. But then I decided to time myself for a couple of weeks and it takes me, um, it took between 17 and 21 minutes. And I was like, what? I totally have 17 minutes. 17 minutes isn't that bad. So now like, and then like doing other things like putting away two loads of laundry or um, answering all the emails. In my, I'm like, okay, I'm going to time myself. And partly like some of the times I'd say when I'm done, you know, I'm only going to do it for 10 minutes and that's success. I'm going to walk away. But really what it did was make me have real life tangible time values for tasks that I had emotionally thought took so much longer. So then instead mm-hmm. of just needing to like willpower my way into doing them. I'm like, Hey, it actually doesn't take 45 minutes. It takes 15 minutes. Do you have 15 minutes? Like, I think your future self will be so grateful that you right now took 15 minutes to clean this up. That's, that's really wise because you're right. I think we get stuck in this emotional world. I feel like this, so I'm going to go and do this. I feel like this, so I'm just going to do this. And we never stop to actually think, okay, maybe I need to just have a little, be curious about that. And then actually realize it's not taking as long as I thought. Or it will pass, right? Often those cravings and things, they do pass if you just wait a minute or two. (laughs) So true. (laughs) It's true, but it's hard to wait in our culture, which is like, let's drive through. (laughs) Sometimes I literally go outside for a walk. If I'm like, that cookie, it's calling my name. I'm like, I'm just going to go for a walk then. Let's see. Let's see. I'm like, by the time I get back 50% of the time, I don't want the cookie anymore. Yeah, you just wait. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've been trying that too, just giving it some time just seeing it I'm like okay and I set a timer once I was like in 10 minutes from now I still feel like it I'm gonna have it (laughs) yeah I put a a timer on and I was like yep I don't feel like it anymore (laughs) it took 10 minutes of waiting and self-control like really really good well thank you so much because it's just been really great um because I think creatives and artists don't realize how much this is going to serve us in what we do um so yeah, thank you for helping us rock our habits. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun talking with you. Thanks for having me. Phew, today's masterclass is done. I love reaching back and saying I've done this and helping you learn the easy way. If you want more, head to larabiancapilcher.com for show notes, links, freebies, my blog, 
coaching and courses. And you can also head to my socials, Lara Bianca Pilcher on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also on Twitter and Pinterest. Thanks again for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean the world to me. And of course, keep on living the healthy, wealthy, wise artist living towards your dream life. Bye, friends. P.S. Shout out to my hottie hubby, Andrew Pilcher, who does all the editing on this podcast. <laughs>